one thing I still can't understand is... Why? I did it for you. I did it for this crew. We are alone here, at the mercy of any number of hostile aliens, because of the incomprehensible decision of a Federation captain. Welcome to another episode of Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Hate, And I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 11, State of Flux. But, you know, that's kind of up in the air. It's kind of in a state of flux, as it were. But we have the capacity to talk about it all the same. Nice. The synopsis from TV Guide. When Voyager responds to a distress call from a Kazon vessel, they discover Federation technology on board, prompting Janeway to suspect a traitor on her ship. So, yeah, we're uh, two in a row where TV Guide is better than Memory Alpha. Yeah. Memory Alpha is an unknown Voyager crew member secretly sends information to the Kazon. Not wrong, but isn't really the crux of this episode. Yeah. The crux of the flux. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there. Yeah, well, probably because you knew I would. Yeah. So, I think, like, a couple episodes I, I, ago, I was dropping future knowledge and said, surely we're go- it's going to be revealed that Seskia is a spy soon, right? Well, yes, I was right. Not just any spy, a Cardassian spy. Mm-hmm. Bloody Cardi. Anyway, I think that they could have handled this better on Star Trek. I think uh, if this were a modern TV show, it would have gone at least a season before this was revealed. Uh, there being more interactions with the Kazon and, like, suspicions of there being a, a, a traitor on board? Right, but we wouldn't know that it was Seska until later. Well. I think they would have played a longer con, is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, yes and no, though. Like, it would have been longer in the sense of more stuff would have happened, but probably it would have been about the same number of episodes. We just would have had more episodes related to the continuous plot. Yeah, instead of in this scenario where on last week's episode we had Seska being like one of the prime people pushing for them to steal the trajector technology from the whatever the heathen people mm-hmm. and you know because she's in such a big rush to get home and then this episode it's like well i guess that plan didn't work and i'm already in cahoots with the Kazon, i guess because it seems like a short amount of time to lay on this sort of cahooting uh especially since like i i don't feel like there was enough time for her like when they were on the planet picking fruits and berries and gross roots and poisonous apples. It's not like Seska had the replicator parts with her. She didn't know the Kazon were going to be there unless she'd already been in communication with them. She had already been in communication with them. That's my point. Well, no, no, no. They mentioned this in the episode. On the very last episode we had, it was, let's steal this other technology so we can get the heck home. Mm. And now it's, well, I guess that plan didn't work. No plans will work, so let's create a power base with the Kazon. Perhaps she was doing both at the same time, just in case, you know, Cardassians got a Cardassian, man. Hmm. That's racist. Yeah, it is, but Star Trek is pretty racist. It can be. Like, when it comes to species stereotypes, Star Trek is rather racist. It falls into largely the same traps that a lot of different sci-fi and fantasy um, 
works fall yeah. into, which is that it's you you only have so much energy to spend on people who aren't your heroes, regardless of who your heroes are, and you, you can't have ev- especially if you want to have a property where they encounter lots of different kinds of people. You can have individuals be nuanced, but you can't have entire civilizations be nuanced. Yep. But based on the sheer number of what it's like to be a foreign person traveling in America stories, Americans are all largely the same, it seems. You know, you, you can cast broad American stereotypes. We wear white socks and sneakers. I know you don't wear white socks, but most Americans do. I wear white socks occasionally, but only with sneakers. Well, yeah. The rest of the time I wear... Who wears white socks with dress shoes? Uh, you ever see the movie My Blue Heaven? No. Okay. In the movie My Blue Heaven, uh, our hero, as played by Rick Moranis, wears white socks with his dress shoes. Rick Moranis would wear white socks with dress shoes. Which our secondary hero, as played by Steve Martin, points out to his tailor friend, and they both go, whew. Okay. Yeah, it's a good movie. You should check it out sometime. But anyway, I would argue that for the vast majority of American white sock wearing is with sneakers. What is especially noticeable to people, I, I especially hear this from Europeans talking about Americans, uh, is because Americans wear sneakers, they also wear white socks. And in Europe, it is uncommon to wear sneakers unless one is actively... Sneaking? Yes. Mm. White. <laughs> You know, jogging, doing things that would actually require sneakers. So speaking of sneaking, mm-hmm. when we're when we first open up the episode, we're down on the planet. It is the longest cold open of the first season. In the longest cold open of the first season, during which Carrie almost eats a poisonous per apple because mm-hmm. he said they look like apples. I thought they looked like more like pears. Looked more like an apple or a potato to me. Yeah, that has a really complicated like way of killing you yeah seriously uh and then we get the gold painted ginger i liked chakotay's line about how i'd find the second best source acceptable if it tasted better yes does ginger actually grow that way i didn't bother looking this up i mean does it actually grow in only like an inch of soil and just pull it right out i don't know i've never harvested ginger so i really couldn't say yeah. If you're a gingerologist, write into the show and tell us. Yes. Do. DeltaFlyerPod at gmail.com. Indeed. But now we get to the sneaky sneakiness. Because mm. Chakotay, because Chakotay discovers that Seska is off in a cave and there are Kazon. Yeah, and since without knowing where the episode is going to go, it feels like a strange cold open. Well, part of the cold open was also that there was... On the we we cut back to the bridge at one point, and Tom asks Tuvok to run a scan because he thinks there's something out there, and they determine that there is something out there, and it's Kazon's. So we don't have to know the episode is going to go towards uncovering a traitor to realize this is going to be a an episode with the Kazon's being sneaky and duplicitous. Yeah, no. What I'm saying is having it specifically end with. Uh, Chakotay being shot. Yeah, and Seska, Chakotay and Seska in the cave. It just seemed like a, a weird choice. Maybe that's that's just me. I think it could have probably they probably could have ended the cold open after they found out there were caves on the planet. 
They could have entered the cold open basically with him. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, there there was another place where they could have ended the the cold open, but it, it worked well enough. I also do wonder one: why does Tom notice things that Tuvok or the computer hasn't already noticed? Mm-hmm. And two: how does Tuvok know what specifications conform to the Kazon Nistrum sect? If they've never encountered the Kazon Nistrum before. Especially since those ships look looks pretty much the same as the ships we saw in the very first episode of the show. So... Look the same as the Kazon Ogla ship to me. Uh, yeah. Which, future knowledge, we discover that all the Kazon have those ships because they didn't actually build them. They stole them from their, uh, well, stole is the wrong word, liberated them from their oppressors. <laughs> Interesting. I had forgotten about that. Future yes. knowledge. Maybe they got the information... The, the way that Tuvok was delivering it, it sure seemed like it was relatively first-hand information and not just, you know, and he would, like, Tuvok being Tuvok, had the writers wanted it to go this way, he would have said, according to Neelix, the Kazon Nistra, Nistrum, are yeah, Nistrum. the, you know, nastiest, most Kazonist Kazons. Right, but it just seemed... Yeah. Yeah, I'm anyway. So, interesting fact, speaking of the Kazon Nistrum, this is the first appearance of our recurring foe, Maj Kala. We will see him a few more times. Good, because Janeway's not done with him yet. <laughs> she doesn't like him. No, but she also does not like bullies. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullies, and I don't like threats, and I don't like you, Kala. So, interesting fact, uh, the actor who played Kulla, uh, when he was first, when he was first auditioning for the role, uh, didn't, uh, I mean, he hadn't had the script yet, the whole, and he thought he was going to be a love interest of Janeway's. Heh. Not so much. That'd be an interesting way to take the, to take that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when we get back to the ship. Mm-hmm. Seska has brought Chakotay. Chakotay is busy scribing something onto a stone. I guess this is some sort of ritual. Yep. But she brings him some mushroom soup in yes. a surprisingly large tureen for his being... favorite mushroom soup. How does she know it's his favorite mushroom soup? No, I, no, no. Since how does she know that the mushrooms she found in that cave are anything at all like the mushrooms that he likes? Yeah, I was wondering. That was that's what I was getting to. Like I get it. They shared a bed and they were lovers, etc. And at some point, he told her it wasn't gonna work while they're on the ship. But did that happen in an episode and I missed it? No, it did not. And you did not. Cool. Anyway, so maybe it happened even before they got swept into the Delta Quadrant. The Chicote Seska relationship was added for this episode and was added fairly late in the production of this episode. Okay. Anyway. So, like, I accept the idea that that's how she knew that, like, mushroom soup was his favorite kind of soup. But I don't... Although I don't eat mushrooms, I have a good friend... We have a good friend who enjoys them quite a bit. And my understanding is you can't just grab any old mushroom. That's even more likely to kill you than uh, grabbing things that look like apples. Almost, yes. Or, conversely could help Chakotay with his next spirit animal chat. Ooh, yeah. So, actually, I want to come back to that apple thing. These are intrepid Starfleet officers in the 24th century. Yes. 
before Carrie apparently spent an hour picking poison apples. Yeah, what the heck? Why didn't he scan it with his tricorder to see if it had toxins in it? Uh, yeah, like, why don't they have that ability? They do. Like, I, I swear Star Trek has done this before. Okay. Where they've scanned food and to see if it's edible or not. Jeez. Carrie. What a goof. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he tells us later that it, he spent an hour with those mushrooms, or apples. Uh, yeah, and when he brought that up, it's like, how, like, what? Like, you spent <laughs> an hour alone picking an apple? Like, did you pick, <laughs> like, did, did you pick, like, a big yellow trash bin full of them? Because did you notice those? Like, the big yellow, like, yeah, trash bin did. looking things? Yeah. Did you pick, like, a big trash bin full of them and then bring one to Chakotay at, like, a dead run, like, you know, gleeful, like, a 12-year-old about having found something that you think is an apple? <laughs> you have replicator rations. If you're that hard up, you know, go replicate yourself a Honeycrisp already, man. Jeez. Mm. Man, that would be great to be able to just replicate yourself any kind of, well, food in general, but I'm just thinking, like, any kind of apple, you know, ripe and ready to eat. Yeah, why do you think the, the, the Kazon wanted replicator technology? Bolana was very short-sighted when she was like, all of this... Bolana did not understand. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I understand, like, taking it for granted, but that would almost be like, you or me in our day and age being like, all of this worked just to have clean water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's sort of like the closest analog on, like, I would say, like, in our time, is that we, that, like, we... Like, clean water is not a guaranteed thing across the world. Like, there's plenty of things that are not guaranteed things. But it, like, feels, like, so simplistic, just mm -hmm. having clean water. Um, well, yeah, because all of our lives, you just turn on the faucet and it comes. Right. So, <laughs> like, that, e even more than having, like, ready, like, ready access to, like, ready and abundant access to food, like, having immediate and ready access to clean water that is equally clean no matter how you're using it effectively you know like the it, it using it like the water you're using to wash your dishes you can also drink in you can also bathe in you can also do everything in you know if i couldn't drink the water i was using to wash my dishes i don't know that i would trust it to wash my dishes what's what the soap is for mm. to murder the germs mm. but getting back to the soup yes back to the soup Back to the soup. How did Chakotay think that story was going to end? Maybe, like, after Neelix had cheered up the mock, the, the people who were homesick, they uh, all, you know, in the spirit of camaraderie, got together to make a mushroom soup? No. There was no way that story, coming from a maquis, was going to end in any way other than, and then we broke into the kitchen and made you the soup. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of being surprised by the endings of stories, what did Janeway think door number three had? Like, Tuvok, Chakotay, and Janeway are walking towards the turbo lift, and, J and Tuvok is telling them, before you stand three doors, behind two of the doors are goats, and behind the third door is a traitor. I did like her reaction, though. I, I liked him when she's like, I don't like option three at all. I don't like number three at all, Tuvok. Well, no, of course not, because it's a traitor, not a brand new car. But mm. the the point is that, like, how did she not see door number three coming? I don't know. I appreciated that Chicote also took replicator rations from himself. Yes, 
because he's a stand-up guy. Yeah. In this episode, Chakotay is played by Chakotay. Yeah, no, we can... This is not an episode where Chakotay could be replaced by an inanimate object, and it would work just as well. We actually do need Chakotay in this episode. Yes. Which is good. Although Chakotay needs fewer people lying to him. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. That uh, That's one of my favorite lines of Voyager, actually, is... Uh, you were working for her. Sesco was working for them. Was anyone on board that ship working for me? It's a good line. I mean, the answer is Balana. Balana was working for you. Yeah. Speaking of Balana, I really liked when Balana kind of like spoke truth to to power with Janeway. Whereas, why well, need it by this afternoon? No. Yes, that was great. Scotty would not approve. No, he wouldn't. He'd be like, "You need this afternoon." Joke's on you. I finished it five minutes ago. Right. <laughs> but first, let me spend six minutes telling you how impossible it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like that. I like that. And I and I like Janeway's, you know... Uh... Okay, so since non-plus doesn't mean what we think it means, would that mean Janeway's reaction was plussed? Hmm. Janeway's reaction was... There was... Proud. Yeah, there was like a mild startlement and then just like, well, okay then. Uh, yeah, it was like Mike mild starment followed by bemusement followed by pride. Yeah, yes, but I would have started. I would have said nonplussed, but apparently nonplussed actually doesn't mean nonplussed. Like, at this I point, I, I have like halfway burned it out of my brain because it's one of those words like no, 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 it doesn't mean what I think it means. I'm just gonna forget what I thought it meant. Mm. Uh, Such a high concept thing. <laughs> wise ass. Uh, <laughs> So, when they beam over to the Kazon ship the first time around, mm-hmm. I'm sure they did scans and all that stuff to make sure it was safe. But it still feels really weird to me that they just beam themselves over to a ship that's in distress and they don't have any protective gear at all. Well, that was, yeah, that, uh, I would definitely think that, yeah, they should be wearing some sort of encounter suit or something. Yeah, because they have them. Mm-hmm. Well... Ish. They don't actually have them yet. From a production standpoint, they don't have them yet. Okay, because I'm just thinking they had them all the way back when, like, the, from Wrath of Khan, where they wear those crazy suits. So like, clearly, it's something that Starfleet has. I mean, what the heck was Michael Burnham wearing in Discovery? Yeah. So I think. Oh, no, they were in Wrath... Yeah, I don't know why I was forgetting Wrath of Khan. Obviously, Wrath of Khan with the eels and the helmets. Or, like, newer than Wrath of Khan, how about, uh... Undiscovered Country? Yeah, yeah. 24th century Star Trek doesn't uh, have the environmental suits until First Contact. Now, obviously, they exist, but from a production standpoint, they don't have them. Mm Mm-hmm. And after that, you do see those same suits used on Voyager a few times. Okay. I will look forward to that. Speaking of the Star Trek movies, this is the first episode of televised Star Trek that takes place at a star date after Star Trek Generations. Wow. That's a... I think you need to set a new goal for yourself (laughs) to, on every episode... Reach for an increasingly esoteric fact, like a baseball announcer. Hey, you know, those esoteric facts are why our listeners tune in to Delta Flyer. 
You know, this is the first episode where a left-handed extra is seen using a right-handed spudger to tighten an overhead bolt. Hmm, quite. <laughs> but anyway, it's, mi- it's mildly interesting, right? This is the first official thing that has taken place after Generations. Yes. Okay. Last week's episode, according to the start dates, took place during Generations. Did all of last week's episode take place on a Tuesday? <laughs> well, not that part of Generations. The 24th century part. <laughs> but, nice joke. Because they do say time is the fire in which we burn. I liked Malcolm McDowell in that role. I like Malcolm McDowell in pretty much every role. I like Generations. I don't care what anybody says. Generations is fun. Yeah, that's all I mean, it's not be. amazing. No. And it's no first contact. Yeah, no, it's not. And, uh, well, I do think that Kirk, Kirk's death was sort of eh. Uh, I was listening to a podcast recently where they were talking about rewriting Generations for, you know, and making it better. And they said that what really would have been a good thing for a send-off would be if Kirk actually did die in the on the Enterprise B, saving everybody. Mm. Yes. Because, honestly, it was sort of an ignoble end for him on Viridian 3 with the bridge falling on top of him. Look at this guy pulling out the SAT vocab words. Yeah, well. That said, it was still better than the first ending that the test audiences hated, so they actually reshot Originally, Malcolm McDowell was just going to shoot him in the back. It would be fitting for Malcolm McDowell's character. It would. But anyway, this is a Voyager podcast, so... So let's talk about someone on Voyager, in this case, stabbing, figuratively, the whole crew in the back. Seska. Yes. She stole food from the mouths of her crewmates. So here's what irked me during the during all these proceedings. Mm-hmm. The fact that Chakotay was so defensive of, of Seska bothers me not at all. Yeah. It's when he straight up tells Seska that she's a suspect. Yeah, what was that? Like, what's going on, Chakotay? Well, I'll tell you. Everyone thinks you're a traitor. Mm. Man, like, that's just no way to handle yeah. your business. Even if you think she's innocent. Yeah, that that does seem a little... Yeah, you shouldn't do that. He should have come up with some excuse. Now, have I not noticed it before, or has the computer always called out the rank and name of the person? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But yes, usually. It does usually call out the rank. What if it had been the Delaney sisters? Would the computer have known to include a first name so we could differentiate between them? I assume they're the same rank. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of ranks, uh, so you remember... When we talk about when we will have talked about learning curve. Yes. I will remember when we will have spoken about this episode that we will be talking about in the past. Yes. Anyway, uh Crewman Dolby will have worn a rank insignia with a single black line in it. And at that time I will have said that that doesn't make sense because that sh- that wouldn't typically indicate a non-commissioned officer. Yes. So Seska, who is clearly mentioned as an ensign multiple times, multiple times, also is wearing rank insignia with a single black line in it. 
Which also doesn't make sense because an ensign would have a single gold line in it. I'm pretty sure that when they were filming this show, they were not expecting very many people to be watching it eight feet away from a 100-inch screen. I will point out that I never noticed this stuff either until uh, until this rewatch when I am watching it eight feet away on a 100-inch screen. That's what I'm saying. And I even, like, even uh, when I was trying to... Because I, I was tweeting that I watched this episode and I tweeted about that particularly... I couldn't find a screenshot online that clearly showed it. So you had to take a picture of your screen? Yeah, and it still didn't look great. Yeah. Because taking a picture of the SD, yeah. But yeah, so no. I, I'll give them that, but come on. Do they not, do they only have like three Maki rank pins or something? Yes, they have to share. Like, Balana has the right one. Hers is a lieutenant. She's a regular cast member. Chakotay has a lieutenant commander one. But they only have so many kicking around for the, you know, for when a Maki is also happens to be on screen. I mean, listen, just be happy they get names, okay? Yeah, and I will also register for, like, the fifth time my discontent with the entire concept of the provisional rank pins being used for the Maki. Your discontent has been noted again. Yes. This will probably not be the last time I do that. He complains for the first time for the last time. Hmm. Well, I mean, some of my complaining will have been in the future, so... Yes. And strictly speaking, the first, like, you know, it is the last time that you complain for the first time. <laughs> yes, I suppose that's true. So, speaking of crew members and minutia, uh, this does have... This episode does include um, a friend of the show, Benjamin's favorite background character ayala yeah yeah when i don't know okay thank you for that <laughs> he's just apparently in it at some point so one thing that i uh when when carrie was being interrogated mm-hmm. and he's very very nervous that's fair uh, yeah and i feel like that should have been like their dead giveaway that he wasn't their their spy he just doesn't have the capacity to keep his cool under and in those circumstances Whereas Seska is perpetually cool as a cucumber or counter-accusatory. So, uh-huh. anyway, he's talking about how, you know how it is down in engineering during a systems analysis, and I thought of Hedonism Bot, also because of last week's episode, there from Futurama. There everywhere. And then, and then, the, then explosion. the explosion. <laughs> yes. You know how it is down during system analysis, and then the explosion. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but I like it. You're welcome. Yeah, no, that was obvious. Um, Janeway's pointing out that Seska was in rebellion to the Federation was just seemed out of character for her. Janeway cares a lot about the Federation. Not as much as Cisco, but, like, a lot. I would argue Janeway cares more about the ideals of the Federation than Cisco. Cisco just cares more about loyalty to it. And not disgracing the uniform. Man, like... Could you imagine Cisco trying to work with a half Maquis crew? He'd just be, like, yelling at them all the time. It's like a quarter Maquis, but yes. I think it's probably actually closer to an eighth Maquis, but yes. Man, and the and the idea that one of them is also a hidden Cardassian? <laughs> well, why would there be a hidden Cardassian in the, the Starfleet crew? Because the Card... For the same reason why there was. 
Like no, the Star Starfleet wasn't at war with the Cardassians. They had gotten out of a war with the Cardassians, and the and the larger picture that is painted for us is that the Cardassians are all conniving spies. I mean, think of our favorite okay. Taylor. He is a spy. So it makes it would make perfect sense that you don't just because you're not at war with somebody doesn't mean you stop spying on them. Okay, but I would say that it is not it does actually make sense for there to be a Cardassian spy in the Maquis because the Cardassians yeah. would have a very good reason to insert spies in the Maquis. Yeah, no. I'm with that, but you know, your point of saying, why would they have a spy in the Federation? Why wouldn't they have 20 spies in the Federation? I bet there's three on board the Enterprise alone. There probably are, yeah. I mean, come on, man. That's fair. You you, you raise a good point. But they would have even more reason to spy on the Lockheed than they would on the Federation. Yeah, but there's also fewer Maquis to worry about, so they can allocate the rest of their spies to the Federation. Yeah, no, that's a that's a fair point. They probably actually do have more spies in the Federation than they do in the Maquis. Like, you know, like just like just pound for pound. I mean, percentage wise, it's probably higher in the Maquis. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I would I would agree with you there. And speaking of the Cardassians, yes, are there not Cardassian blood factors? Maybe they have. They simply have more medical data on Bajorans. Hmm. So they know for sure that that she doesn't have Bajoran blood factors, and she has mystery blood factors that they can't 100% pin down? So this episode invalidates a crazy fan theory video I watched the other week. Okay. This this episode is... Hold on a second. <laughs> yes, I know. 22 years. <laughs> yeah. It... And 11 months. <laughs> and 12 days old. <laughs> All right. So the crazy fan theory video I watched the other week was that the Bajorans and the Cardassians are actually the same species. Uh-huh. And there were all sorts of supposed ex- explanations for the physical differences. It's an environmental factor that they had that they had just split off from the same people a long time ago. But anyway, well, that wouldn't be the first time that Star Trek has pulled that. I mean, you had the Romulans and the Vulcans, and then the... And then the Romulans and the Remans. I wasn't going to bring them up. I was <laughs> going to go as far as, and then the... And I was <laughs> done, because we only know about the Remans because of... I want to say there was a Reman in an episode of Enterprise. Okay. But that... Was that... Granted, that was be after right. the movie of which we should not, shall not speak. And I'm not going to say that at no point was the word Reman never thrown around on a Romulan-heavy episode. I don't think Reman was, but Remus definitely was. Okay, yeah. So, like, I'm not going to, like, completely discount that idea. The, like, you know, the fact that they exist outside of that, outside of the movie which shall not be named. But... And then on TNG, there was also an episode where they encounter a planet with proto-Vulcans, and they, in fact, call them proto-Vulcans. So, speaking of TNG, are yes. you ready for Stuart to feed you some some minutia? I am always ready for minutia. Alright. Let, let me hit you with some, with, with some minutia. So, the doctor calls for uh, pyrocyte analysis. Ah, I had that written down as an interesting word. Yes. And I was wondering... Are we going to add a new tally to the Voyager creating new words and immediately abandoning them to count? In, in this case, no. Pyrocyte came up once before in a TNG episode that I forgot to write the name down for. Uh, Ferengi blood 
has pyrocytes, as do the Kazons. It came up in this TNG episode because the pyrocytes from Ferengi blood, if they uh, are like toxic to humans, and they were being used to poison an ambassador. What? Yeah. I don't remember this at all. Too bad. Ferengi so, blood was being used to poison someone? Some way, somehow, Ferengi blood relate, was related. I was mostly, I was primarily interested in seeing if this was something that had only ever come up on Voyager in one episode once. Sure, yeah. And just, just like, the fact that it had come up once before involving the Ferengi in a TNG episode was, like, that Like that was, like, what I was looking for. Was Okay, it was that one. Interestingly, I just looked this up, uh, we will encounter said Ferengi, future knowledge, we will encounter said Ferengi in an episode of Voyager. Wow, closing that circle. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So, what about that other word that was used this episode? Polaric? <laughs> no, I don't remember what it was. I didn't write it down. I think it started with an N. The radiation that the exploding replicator made. Nucleonic. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a word that I've heard certainly on Star Trek before. Or are you thinking of the, it contains... 0.14 of Neosporin particles. The residue has a 0.41% trace of a Neosorium composite. And I don't know anyone who uses Neosorium technology, except for the Federation. Oh, there was that too, yes. Yeah, or ne like ne like Neosorium, something like that. I forget what the word was, but when I... Re I have a note here. I I'm not even kidding. I have a note here saying Stuart is going to mention Neosporin particles. Did you wrote Neosporin? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew that you would do that. <laughs> but yes, no, I knew that you were going to call it Neosporin because that's what you do. <laughs> so the nucleonic radiation <laughs> has appeared once before on Voyager in the cloud. Right, which we just watched uh, a few weeks ago, which is why it would have been in my head. Right. So at least it wasn't promptly abandoned by, by Voyager, but it does seem to be relatively Voyager-specific so far. So anyway, hold on. I'm looking that up so that I can look up to see if it ever existed before. Or again. Neosorium. Yeah, that's what I said. Yep, we are adding to the counter. Neosorium only appears in this episode. Okay, does nucleonic get a half point if it's a word that only ever occurs on Voyager, even if they use it more than once? Since it was only two episodes in season one, I think that, yeah, that's a half point. Excellent. So we're at three and a half. Well, no, because I think that should get a half point for each episode that it was in, right? Oh, that's how you want to play it? <laughs> yeah, so that should count for the count the cloud as well. Okay, so four words invented and then promptly abandoned and harry cam's only died once he's got some, he's got some dying to do to catch up he does i don't know if he dies anymore this season he definitely dies next season but yes neosorium only ever appeared in state of flux amazing this is this is fantastic uh did you catch the the double the back-to-back -back some kind of at the beginning of the episode i missed oh the some kind of apple i got what was the other one look at this I think there's some kind of apple. Oh, so I, I I did not, like, ping on some kind of apple. I was thinking about on the bridge in the cold open. Using some kind of cloaking device. It's not a cloaking device as we know it, Captain. I cannot say for certain what it is. 
but the ship does employ some kind of masking circuitry that has affected our sensors. Why is there no command override? I don't care how savvy Seska is at navigating the Elkar's interface and creating a false trail and her own you know, magic way of teleporting off the ship, but how is there not an official command override? Why does the why does the 24th century still use just, like, access codes? Why is this all not all, you know, done with uh, the word that I can't think of? Biometrics? Thank you! Like, maybe allow an access code as, like, a last resort or something. Right. But, but why is it not? Why isn't it biometric, or voice print, or whatever you want to do? The voice print, I definitely would believe them doing because the voice print thing was is something. I mean, there's a lot of different biometrics that have shown up in popular media going back thirty plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of one of the Bond movies where the bad guy like puts in the false con like puts in the contacts to fool the retinal scan so they can steal some nuclear nuclear we- missiles. I don't remember this, but I'm sure it happened. Uh, yeah, or maybe it was like a 007 ripoff or something. It sounds like something that would happen in a Bond movie, so I'll believe it. Yeah, sure. But the voice print especially, I mean that was practically like tech that they had back in the mid 90s. And they did use the voice print at least once on TNG. Voice print analysis confirmed. Because one time when Data was uh, not possessed is the wrong word, but he he had a program directive was overriding his regular behavior. Mm. Uh, he locked out everyone else from access to the computer by uh, talking as Picard. Yeah. Picard's voice was his passport. Authenticate him. My voice is my passport verify speaking of sneakers yeah you haven't seen sneakers have you i have not you're just smiling and nodding i am smiling and nodding <sighs> mostly because i didn't want to bother i didn't want to ask you for an explanation what am i supposed to do with all my sick references if you don't understand all any of my sick references well then they must not be very sick must they so i really liked um towards the end of the episode two box delivery of pulled the wool because yeah. there's this, like, half-beat pause before and after. Mm-hmm. As you could, as you could sort of, like, hear the unspoken quote-unquote. Uh, yes. And I also just generally enjoy that conversation between, between he and Chakotay. Yeah. But it did uh, remind me of the end of our last episode. Um, you can use logic to justify almost anything, can't you? Mm-hmm. Well, you can. Yes. Yeah. No, I... Overall, I do really enjoy this episode. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, it moves larger plot points along. Mm-hmm. It brings back a recurring enemy. And really, this is, I mean, I, I guess caretaker, caretaker kicked them off as a recurring enemy. But this really kind of cements it as like they're here again and we're going to keep seeing them. Because, of course, now they have a member of the crew who went over there willingly. It's not like they stole them, but like, you know, it's not just going to end there. Yeah. So caretaker introduces the Kazon in and of themselves. Right. But 
this episode is what introduces the Kazon Nistrum, who are specifically the recurring Kazon enemy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say this, technically, this is the first appearance of the recurring enemy. Okay. I'll concede that point. Actually, you know, coming back on it, I was remembering the Kazon being more important in season one than they apparently were. Because here we are, 11 episodes in, and we're getting our second Kazon episode. Yeah, and I don't think that we're going to get a third this season, are we? I don't remember. They show up a lot in season two, though. Oh, yeah. I mean... No, I don't think we are. We get we get the Vidians again this season. Okay, I look forward to that. But I don't think... Off the top of my head, there's one episode that I don't remember what it's about. I mean, we've got uh, five episodes left. We've already talked about two of them. <laughs> yeah. And of the three that are remaining, one of them is a Vidian episode. One of them is... One of them is a different... Uh, person that we haven't met before Mm -hmm. and then the third i don't remember based on the title what it's about is the third cathaxis that would be correct based on the blurb that i saw it's another chakotay heavy episode okay yeah no no more k's on this this season well if we have no more k's on this season then i have no more to talk about this episode yeah i'm mostly done all right take us out well uh thank you for joining us on this episode about State of Flux. State of Flux. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Uh, if you didn't enjoy it as much as we did, or maybe you liked it more, or you just want to talk to us, uh, you can reach us on Twitter at DeltaFlyerPod, or by email, DeltaFlyerPod at gmail.com, or on Facebook at DeltaFlyerPodcast. You can find me individually on Twitter at Gamicus. And you can reach me individually on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And if you want to keep hearing us talk about uh, 20-year-old sci-fi properties, do be sure to check out our other sci-fi podcast, Stargate Weekly, which you can find on your podcast player of choice. Mm-hmm. And you should subscribe to it and this show at the same time. And you can also find both of those shows on their respective websites. Yes, which you can probably figure out what they are. We made, we made Stargate Weekly's really easy. And be sure to join us next week for Heroes and Demons. And that's our show. Okay. I'm starting to think that I need to just link the some kind of supercut every time we post an episode. Uh, yeah, and like get that link over to me. I went looking for it at one point. I couldn't find it on YouTube very easily. Well, uh, if nowhere else, it is linked to in a Twitter comment. Uh, to Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Just, just, just send me this. Our Delta Flyer thing. post on Parallax. This conversation is getting cut out, or maybe we'll move it to the end or something. <laughs>